Welcome to the Aspiring High Performance Podcast, the show where we embrace both the challenges and the beauty of our high performance journeys and aspirations. I am your host, Sana Kolonen, a former professional athlete from Finland, who is now guiding others to excel through mental performance coaching and breathwork in Denver, Colorado. And together, we're on a mission to achieve greatness without compromising our well-being or happiness anymore. So join me as we connect with experts, thought leaders, and inspiring individuals from the worlds of sports and high performance. We will uncover the stories, tools, and insights needed to craft and improve our own high performance lifestyles. So get ready, because this journey promises to be both enlightening and enjoyable. Hello, and moi in Finnish, and welcome back. This week's guest is Trevor Reagan, who is the founder of LearnerLab, an educational platform that is dedicated to unpacking and sharing the science of learning and development so we can get better at getting better, like he says. And I don't really recall how I came across his content in the first place, but I do remember watching his YouTube videos about growth mindset and then also the jungle and zoo tigers about fear and I really loved them they were really helpful for me and apparently at some point of that journey I probably had a friend requested him on Facebook for whatever reason I maybe thought that he was really cool and I wanted to be like him someday I don't really know and then I did not even know that he had accepted that friend request but when I was doing a research about the issues and challenges in the sports world and kind of like mapping out different solutions for these and wanted to go through some names on Facebook that who would I want to interview to give me some input and insights for these then his name popped up and I was surprised that he was even there but then I was like he would be such a perfect guest to like talk about this for me to learn from and Then the next thought was, well, no way. Why would I reach out to him? Because he doesn't even know me, all of that. But then I ended up doing that. I had a bold moment. I reached out and then he said, yes, I was so cool. But he also explained to me later on that that's how he got excellent, that he was reaching out to people who were experts in something. And then he asked to chat with them or these people to explain him something, help him out with something. So then this situation was a similar one for him. Just now he was the expert. So we scheduled a Zoom call, sat down, and it was really insightful for me. I enjoyed it a ton and I really appreciated his time. And later on, I also found out the he was working on the next video, psychological safety was the topic of it. And then I asked if he would like to do an Instagram live with me about that topic because that video was so good, people. If you haven't seen it yet, please go watch it. It's everything for the sports world. It really is so good. And then anyways, he said yes again for the Instagram live. And here we are. And why I'm telling all of this is that one, it frames this podcast episode pretty well in how he is as a person. He's such a great person and I only interview the good weird people. And then two, sometimes when we have those brave moments and we just decide to ask for help, we might actually get it. It's magical, but it really often 
pays off, actually. So just a proof of that. And lastly, Trevor is known for his engaging workshops and keynotes that combine storytelling, humor, and actionable strategies. And through Learner Lab, his company, he provides resources such as podcasts, videos, and articles. And I really highly recommend you to go check out those if you haven't yet. But now it is time that you get to hear him speak, not me. So let's dive into this interview that was also recorded on Instagram earlier this year. And I really hope you will enjoy. But yeah, let's start with just like if somebody would not know you or they might know you from probably the Learner Lab, but who's Trevor Reagan for people who might not know you? How do you describe, how would you describe yourself? I think maybe the best way to describe it is I'm really curious about learning. I think that getting good at learning is important for pretty much anyone. And what I've been trying to do for like 10 years is figure out how to do that. And there's like obviously a lot of things that falls under that umbrella of like, well, how do you get good at learning? Part of it is mindset. Part of it is how you practice. Part of it is how you build the environment. But it's just been like a fun journey for me of um, getting really, really curious about a big topic like that. And then doing as much as I can of like getting around really smart people, learning from the researchers, and then just trying to find ways to share it with people so they understand it. So that's like podcasts, videos, articles, workshops, all of it is just designed for me to be like, hey, here are some topics that I think can make a difference. Uh, here's what the, the research says, and here's some different ways you can use it. So I, I would say that's maybe the best description of like who I am and what I do. That's awesome. I think I do remember the first ones when I was like, but I don't remember how I got into those videos. I was probably just like searching something and then found a podcast or something. Um, and then once I started diving into your content, it was exactly that. Like I could learn so much faster when I was like applying the information that you were putting out. And as a like athlete who wanted to get better, like how freaking awesome that was. Just like having that one action that you take for first of all, like learning, which is awesome. Like listening or reading or watching some of it but then putting into action and then knowing like the actions that you were basically like telling us about in those like in whatever format it was helped me yeah and i think i i don't know i was just like so blown away by that i was like sometimes i do like just consume a tons of podcasts but then finding something that was also helping me to make the change mm -hmm. yeah, yeah like, i think so awesome I think it's important and like maybe even like our message, it's kind of changed a bit in, in 10 years. Of course it has. But the way I see it now is not even like, hey, here's how to learn faster. It's almost like a, the, the first step, which is, hey, you can learn like you can learn more than you know. And then it's like, here's some tools to help you along the way, because like the truth is we're all learning all the time. And we could all do it more, but real learning isn't necessarily that fun or that enjoyable or that easy. And so it's like, okay, awesome. we need to be aware of that process and give people the tools to like stay on that path. And so it's, I think part of it is, yes, you can be more efficient with your learning and like by implementing some of these tools, you can learn faster but i would argue most of the tools are just like getting the ball rolling and helping you like stay on the path when it's like uncomfortable and frustrating because like that those are all normal emotions that you feel when you're growing 
Yeah, well said. Um, that's something that I definitely want to touch on today. Like the fear that comes with it, also learning, because I think that's one part of it. At least for me, it has been huge. Like, yes, I mm-hmm. always say like, I want to learn. But at some point when I realize like, oh, I'm also going to look super ridiculous now just yeah. because I'm trying to do something new. Um, so I want to touch on that one for sure. Mm-hmm. But let's start with the beginning of your journey. So you come from sports or at least you did some sports. So how did you start that journey? Which sports did you do? So it's like, I think all the things I've been through in my life have led me to like what I do. But I don't want this to come across as you have to do all the things I did in my past in order to do what I do now. It's like we all have different pasts and like our experiences like help shape us and form us. But then we can like also jump on different paths. And so like my sports background, I think, does play a big role in what I do now. But it's kind of like an unexpected role. So. I grew up like in a smaller town. I was obsessed with like basketball, football, baseball, like that's all there was to do. And so uh, both my parents were coaches. And so like I just grew up around sports. I thought that they were like the most important thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really wanted to play basketball in college. That was like a huge goal of mine. And it's like I invested a ton of time and energy into that. And I almost achieved that goal, but fell short. Like I, I, I didn't make the the college basketball team. And that was like a huge, huge at the time, what I thought to be failure. It's like, mm-hmm. I just spent 12 years trying to be good enough to do this and I didn't make it. What's the point? Like, yeah. And looking back, you could argue that that was one of the most important things to happen to me because not making the team kind of like woke me up to like, wow, I need to figure out like what I'm going to do outside of sports. Uh, Mm -hmm. I need to figure out like who I am. Like my identity was a tied was tied to like being good at basketball. And so it, it really, really sucked at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like super angry for literally years about not making the team because I thought I should have. But now, now that I'm like 15 years removed, I'm like, oh, that was actually really helpful because that kind of got me on the path of where I am now, because I think it planted sort of this curiosity seed of like, damn, I worked so hard and I didn't make it. Like, what could I have done better? And I think that seed, that curiosity is probably a big reason of like what I do now. Yeah, um, pretty, pretty sure that it is, because I think those failures are so yeah, they're great, like, learning lessons if we can take the learning lessons out of them. So well, then you didn't achieve that goal. So what happened next? Did you go? Yeah, you probably went to college anyways, but. It, yeah, yeah, it's like, so it's, I think stories like this are more realistic than the ones you see in the movies. Because, like, if this is a movie, it would have been like, I didn't make the team the first season, but then I worked <laughs> even harder and made it the second season. It's exactly. like, no. That's not even what happened. I was just super angry and kind of gave up on it. And I was like, this is the worst. Like mm-hmm. this, this whole journey was meaningless. And so it's not like, it's not like I was in like the mental state at that moment to be like, okay, what could I learn from this? It's like, yeah, I didn't even handle it well at all. 
but now I can still find time or find the opportunities or find the lessons that I, I gained from that experience. And that's like usually the case. Um, yeah. So yeah, I like still went to school. Um, I got to be kind of a part of the basketball program. I got to like uh, get in on practices and like be a manager and go to games and stuff. And like, that was a cool experience. But the entire time I was still so mad. I was so mad that I had to like make the Gatorade for the guy that like beat me out. <laughs> and so like, the truth is I have a lot of regrets. Like this was one of the best college basketball programs in the country. I got to be a manager for two years and like sit in on the meetings and go to every game. But I was so mad and angry that I didn't make it, that I actually missed out on a lot of great opportunities to grow and learn from like great leaders, great coaches, great basketball people. So it's like, look, no one's perfect with this stuff. I know that if I could run it back and do it again, I'd probably learn much more than I did. Mm -hmm. um, but it still was like a really important moment for me in life to just kind of like get me on a different path. And it wasn't me, it wasn't on purpose. It was kind of by accident, but I think that's how, how things actually work. Now, yeah. like when we're not in a movie. <laughs> Exactly. And I love honest stories. I love them more than the one that where we're trying to make sense out of like every single turn that it was the best one. And then say like, I wouldn't trade a day. Yeah. I feel like just saying like, well, there are some decisions that I totally could have done differently. I, I don't see the harm in that either. Um, yep. So what helped you like then at the end, like overcome that phase? That maybe you weren't that mad anymore. I think... It, again, it's kind of hard to like connect all the dots. It was just like time and it was those two seasons that I was with the team, it was like seven hours a day of work. Wow. And so it's like I was in school, but I didn't have time to make friends and I like barely had time to like go to classes. And coming out of that, the last two years of college for me were important because I like started to make better friends and like connect with people outside of sports and like people like for my whole life, I felt like people liked me because I was like good at basketball. And now it's like, well, I'm making friends that like me for like who I am. And that was like, mm -hmm. like that seems so small, but it was important. And to just like Did he mute you? Okay. We're good now. Um, so like all these experiences were good for me. So it was like, it was time and it was like meeting different people and learning different things and experiencing stuff outside of sports. It's like, I think mm -hmm. that is just like a long journey, but it wasn't like a light switch of like, oh, I'm totally cool with what happened. Because the truth is that was like, that was 15 years ago, maybe more. When I watch Duke play basketball, because that's like the team I wanted to play for, it still hurts a little bit. Like, I love them. I'm a huge fan. But my little part of me is like, damn, I was so close to getting to do that. And so yeah. it's it's not like you completely heal and it's not like you completely like shut off the pain. It's just like I can accept like this is a thing that happened. I can recognize that I've grown a lot from it, but I can still be salty about it. It's like that's just that's just like human. Like we're all like that, I think. Yeah, I love that. Even though it's not like fun that it's also still a little hurtful, but <laughs> yeah, but I love the honesty of that whole thing. Because I think 
for me, it's a little bit similar when I saw like the Finnish national team playing in the European Championships and I didn't make it because of the injury that took me out of the game. And then just watching them on the couch, like obviously I wanted to be there. Like could was I like the way that I was able to think about it was like I was so happy for my teammates who got to experience that. Mm-hmm. But it, it still didn't mean that I was totally fine being on the couch at that moment. Yeah. When I yeah. really wanted to be there with them. Uh, an awesome lesson I learned, and this is a mistake that I made for years. So getting into the learning research, you you like start to to see the importance of like challenges and mistakes and struggle that these are like important ingredients in really any learning journey. Mm-hmm. But then like the way we talk about them, I think we need to be really careful about. And I, I was guilty of it. Like when I first started, I'd go around and tell people like, love the struggle, love the setback, <laughs> love the challenges, love the mistake. Yeah. And like, love is a good word, but I I actually think there's no empathy when we use it in that context. And so a lesson I learned from this awesome guy, uh, his name is Larry Wilkin. He taught me, he's like, you don't have to love the the struggles, the setbacks, the mistakes, but you can appreciate them. And like that little yeah. like shift in framing, but in also in the semantics and language, I think it's huge because like the truth is, Yes, these setbacks and struggles and challenges help us grow, but we don't have to love them at all. Like, you don't have to love the fact that you couldn't be there with your team. And I don't have to love the fact that I, like, didn't, like, get to, like, live out this dream that I had. But I can appreciate that by not making it. There are opportunities in that that have helped me grow and made me a better person. And the same is true for you. But we don't have to love it. And I just, I love that framework a lot um, of just, like, okay not fun, not easy, uh, not enjoyable at all, but I can appreciate that in different ways it's making me grow. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that because I do think there's like there's some guilt almost that comes with that, like because we are taught like you should be loving the struggle and, you know, loving all of the adversities that we go through. But then for me, it's like, no, I'm not loving that moment. Yeah. So what's wrong with me? Am I not like actually totally healed? Am I not really happy for them? But understanding like, yes, these two things can actually be true at the same time. I can be happy Mm -hmm. for my teammates, but it still freaking sucks that I'm not there. (laughs) Yep. So it's like, I think all of us, and we're going to get into this more like later in the talk, but it's, we really need to upgrade the way we we think about our emotions and think about our feelings. I think so many times we feel like we have to feel perfect. And if we're not feeling perfect, that we're doing something wrong. And just like making that shift is huge that you can learn and feel crappy at the same time. You can feel really nervous and perform well at the same time. It's like, it's like all these things can be separated out. It's like we don't have to feel perfect all the time in order to learn, in order to perform. We don't have to feel perfect to appreciate that there are opportunities um, in this situation that can make us better. And so it's it's important to kind of like separate those out. Yeah. I wonder when did you start learning that? Um, was, because then you you also started coaching, right? Kind of. So it's like when I first got into this i did a couple like normal jobs out of college um and saved up a little bit of money and 
I really wanted to like start my own thing. And the way I, I started was like two things. It was, I want to do basketball camps in the summer. Cause this is like basically what I know. And I'm going to do as many camps as I can do like throughout the summer. And then the off season, which is like eight months out of the year, I was like, well, I'll just start a blog. And I just want to like interview interesting coaches or interview authors and just like share different things that I'm learning on this blog, mostly mm -hmm. about how to be better at basketball. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's kind of how I first got into this. This is like 10 years ago now. And it was just a blog that probably like 10 people were reading and eight of them were family members. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I was just like talking to cool people and writing interesting stuff. And over like a couple years of this, like that started to pick up momentum and that's kind of what morphed into this. But yeah, the journey used to be very basketball focused. And then I realized, wow, a lot of the stuff I'm learning is bigger than just basketball. It can help mm -hmm. pretty much anyone in any sport. But then the, the other big shift that I made maybe five years ago is, wait, most of the stuff I'm learning isn't just about sports. It's just about learning in general. And that's like, that is a topic that benefits everyone. And so yeah. shifting from basketball to sports to learning, I think those are important like pivots that I made in the content. And so now like where I'm at is really cool. So in the last month, I've worked with the International Monetary Fund. Like that's probably the most incredible group of people I'll ever work with. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I spoke, yesterday I spoke at a waste management conference. Yeah. Uh, I worked with PepsiCo two weeks ago, like big executives within that, that group. And then I also get to talk to like first graders and kindergartners and third grade students. And so it's like, uh, it's such a range of groups that I work with Olympic teams, major league baseball teams. I've worked in prisons. And the wild thing is, and like, that's the biggest range of groups that you could have the, the topics that we teach in each one of those workshops are the same. It's like a course that we're going to package it differently and use different mm -hmm. stories and examples, but the, the, the tools that we're presenting in those different presentations are the same because like getting good at learning is going to benefit you no matter who you are, what you do, no matter like the, the industry you're in, no matter how old you are, like getting good at learning is like a useful endeavor, I think. Yeah. For, for humans. And then I think humans are the ones who are running all of the organizations and like doing actually the performances, whatever that yeah. place is that they are actually performing. But what happened mm -hmm. to your identity along the way? Because you said like your identity was definitely basketball. Yeah. Um, and you were like kind of like wondering like, what am I? So then did you figure out your identity kind of like on the way that you started separating yourself from basketball? Yeah, I think it was it was part of the like, and it's just like a, it, no matter like what we're doing and the goals we have, I think we all in going through this, we have things that we think matter a lot or things that we, we really think that we're going to do. And more times than not, we like get like thrown onto a different path and that like interruption yeah. sucks, but it's like a moment to be like, oh damn, like growing up, I thought being good at basketball was the coolest thing ever. And like, if I'm just really good at this, this is like the only thing I care about. Now, obviously now I'm like 35 years old. I'm like, I think basketball is great, but like, that's not like the most important thing in the world for me. 
And so mm-hmm. I think that's just part of like growing up and part of living life. So I don't think it's something I did necessarily like intentionally. I don't think there's really a lesson to be learned from it. It's just like, no, I just got older and realized like, oh, I'm curious about more than just how to get good at basketball. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a curious person and I love to learn. I love to, I love the creative process of like, okay, we have to make a 12 minute video. How can we make this like the coolest 12 minute video? Like let's learn design and animation and storytelling. Like I love that. And like, that's kind of who I am now. That's so much different than like 17 year old Trevor, who's just like obsessed with basketball. It's like, no, I love design now. And I love like the creative process. Like if you would have told me when I was younger that this is who I am now, I would have thought you're crazy. And, but again, we can all relate to that. I think we're all different than we thought we were going to be maybe growing up. Absolutely. And so I think you said that it morphed from sports to or like basketball to sports and then to learning. Um, where was the time where it was like when you decided that I'm going to actually start building a business around this idea? It was kind of by accident because at first it was, let me just make money in the summer with the basketball camps. And then I'm going to spend all that money learning for the other eight months. So it's like, yeah. I would just like fly around and like looking back, it was like, that was kind of a risky move because it's like by the end of the eight months, I'd have no money. And then it's like, okay, we got to make more money with basketball camps. Um, but those that that eight month window, I was like, I'm going to spend every dollar I can learning. So it's like, if I read a book and they cite a study, I want to go hang out with the people who did the study and ask them dumb questions and really try to understand the study, not just the book. And so that was super fun for me of like getting around like old researchers, like people have been in the game forever. And I think there's something to just like being in their office and getting to ask questions and like, and kind of like push back of like, well, what about this? What about that? And mm-hmm. it's like, that really, really helped me get a handle on some of these important topics. And so I think that was like a huge shift for me. Mm-hmm. And then sort of like when I decided it wasn't like a concrete, okay, this can be a business now, but it was after maybe two or three years of this just blogging, basically learning, blogging, basketball. Mm-hmm. Groups started to reach out and go, hey, can you come like present this topic that you wrote about like at a conference? And at first I was like, no, <laughs> because like I'm like super shy. I hate public speaking. Uh, it was kind of like a nightmare scenario, but there was one group I, I eventually like agreed to do it. It was like a 60 minute talk. And I still have a recording of it. And honestly, it makes me cringe to watch of like <laughs> how bad I was at presenting. And and that's normal, of course, because it was like my first rep. But like people kind of liked it. And that led to like more. And so pretty soon it was, wait a second, I can make money during this eight month window by doing some talks and workshops. And I can still do the basketball stuff in the summer, but then over the years, it's sort of morphed to now 
I don't even have time to do basketball camps because it's like all year we're like doing these talks and workshops. So it was like it built up through like word of mouth. Um, and I, I realized it's like, oh, I can have more of an impact on people outside of the world of sport if I invest in getting good at these workshops and training. And so it wasn't like one day I decided this was the moves. I kind of stumbled into it by accident. And then I was like, oh, this is really cool. And if I get good at this, this will help me like sustain and create like um, more revenue streams. This will give me a bigger runway. And so now yeah. I'll probably get to do this for the rest of my life. I don't mm -hmm. think the basketball strategy originally was that sustainable because mm -hmm. it was so hard. It was eight to five, Monday through Friday, and we would do 10 weeks a summer. It's like that was so hard and so much time and exhausting. And I had to do that in order to make enough money to survive. It's like, yeah, that's not sustainable. Um, yeah. Obviously this, this, uh, this is much more sustainable. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And then I wonder how you decided the topics, like yes, learning, but then was growth mindset, for example, one of the first ones that was, um, like just getting like a bigger publicity. Like, how did you decide it to go like based on like that one or the jungle tiger and the things that you have on your website, for example, like how did yeah. you decide those? So one was first at the start, it was I'm looking for intersections. So it's like, okay, if I'm interviewing like five awesome coaches and each one of them is mentioning a topic, mm. the antennas go up of like, okay like we need to go learn about it. So that, yeah. that's what happened was like uh John Kessel was like one of the first people to really like really help me out with this stuff. Cool. He's one one of the first people I interviewed. He was like a mentor of mine. Mm -hmm. And he during like the first interview I did with him mentioned growth mindset. I didn't even know what it was. But then like someone else mentioned it and it started to spring up and I was like, what is this? And so I found Carol Dweck's book. I reached out to her, talked to her. And so it's like, I, I think layer one was if a lot of people are talking about something, it's worth exploring. Mm -hmm. But then the, the, the next layer I went to is really trying to zoom out and say, okay, what are the things you need to do to get good at learning? Well, it's mm -hmm. not rocket science. Like learning is a skill. And how do you get good at a skill? By practicing it. Like you get good at something through trial and error. So, okay, yeah. like let's use some logic and then work backwards from that. So you go, okay, if I want someone to get better at learning, they need to engage in more learning actions and behaviors. Well, what would be the tools to help someone do that? Mm -hmm. And you can kind of start to get to these tools by by asking a question of how come people don't learn more? How come we don't spend more time learning stuff? Well, of course, we're humans. We all have different obstacles to learning. Mm -hmm. But if you really like ask people and they're, they, they're giving you honest answers, more times than not, it's, I don't believe I can learn that thing. Yeah. It's, I don't like the feeling of doing something new. I don't like the feeling of struggle. So then it's like, okay, now we're starting to ad identify like universal barriers to learning, which is 
Sometimes we don't think we can. Sometimes we think it takes uh, longer than it does. And we really, really don't like to feel uncomfortable. But then you take it to the next logical step, which is, is there some science that could help me and others get better at dealing with discomfort? Is there some science that can help help me believe more in my capacity to grow? Is there some science that could help us build better environments where people feel like it's okay to struggle? And mm-hmm. so it's like in working backwards from this North Star of, we need to spend more time learning stuff, cool, how come we don't? Then how do we overcome that? And it's like in going through that, and look, that wasn't like an overnight thing. Like, yeah, I think about these topics all day, every day for for years. Like, the the video we put out last week around psychological safety. It's like, it's it's the best thing that we've ever made by far, and the response that it's getting is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But but that took three and a half years to make like three and a half years ago i interviewed amy edmondson who's the 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 main researcher on that topic three and a half years ago and since the interview for three and a half years i've been thinking about her work i've been kind of experimenting with like how do you talk about this like i kind of share it in the workshops and try to get some feedback and only like after three and a half years of thinking about it and testing it then i was ready to be like okay I could make a kick-ass 15-minute video essay about this. And so, like, all this stuff takes a ton of time. And um, I look back at there's topics that I used to think were the most important, and now I don't think they're, yeah. um, they matter as much. There's topics that I used to think didn't matter, but now I think do matter more. But this mm-hmm. is through trial and error and, like, a ton of patience and just, like, really trying to think about this logically of, like, of course, there's 900 things that could help us be better at learning. And yeah. you can't teach someone 900 things. What if you only could teach them three? What would the three be? Um, and so, like, it's going through like frameworks like that that help like filter down to okay, here's the things we care about the most. I love that concept because I think there definitely is a real like information overload right now in the world that like we get so like we we know already so much stuff but then can we really condense it into like for example three concepts and that's mm-hmm. what we're gonna try to learn or like trying to do and yeah i love the new video it was absolutely like like my favorite probably so far because i i just wanted to share it to like everybody yeah. how did you was that the topic the same way that you just like interviewed people and then you stumbled upon like, okay, this is actually coming up quite often or how did this topic? This is good. So I've been dying to give the behind the scenes because the feedbacks we're getting on this (laughs) video, people are like, oh, this is the best one ever. But this wasn't by accident. So I think it first started that I, I was reading the culture code by Daniel Coyle and he, he mentioned psychological safety. And at the time, Dan Coyle and I um, were both helping out a major league baseball team. And so I was just like, hey, like this psychological safety thing is good. Like, who who should I like talk to to learn more? He goes, Amy Edmondson. So I interview her and she's, like I said, the main researcher. So now I have this hour long interview footage from her and she sends me a bunch of studies so you start to like go through the studies and you go through the interview and you, you're starting to collect these puzzle pieces. But I don't ever want to just be like, 
here's this thing. It's like, no, I want to be like, here is this thing. This is why the thing matters. And this is how to use the thing. And so like, I need to like nail all of these. And that, that takes a ton of time. So like, okay, through the years, I'm starting to like gather more examples, uh, come up with more like better stories to tell or like finding different ways to connect this topic with people. So they like, oh, this matters to me. This isn't just like, uh, like a 10 minute overview of something that isn't relevant to me. So you're gathering all that. Then it's time to make the video. And so for this one, I decided to get wild. I was like, I'm going to start from the ground up. It's like, I found someone to help design this studio. I found someone to like help me set up like the lighting and I wanted to get like a better camera. I found one of the best storytellers in the world. His name is Matthew Dix. And this guy is awesome. He is a fifth grade teacher in Connecticut. And on the weekends, he goes to New York and just crushes the national storytelling circuit. Like he's winning like storytelling competition. And he has this book called Story Worthy, which might be the best book on storytelling I've ever seen. And it's basically like, hey, here's how to tell better stories. And it's just, it might be my favorite book. So I reach out to him and I go, hey, um, your book has helped me a ton. Like I, I'm really focused on like learning these tools. Can you help me with this script? And so he helped me for a month where I would just record the 15 minute of like, here's what I think this video script is going to be. Then he would like rip it apart and just be like, no, fix this and fix this and fix this. And so it's like, there was so much happening backstage. Uh, I found really cool, uh, collage animators like one of them is in Hungary and another is like in the U.S. who are like really good at creating visuals around this so for this one I tried to go all out of like let's get a storytelling coach let's find mm -hmm. the best animators let's find someone who can like even do the sound design and like let's put all this together and see what happens and to be honest I don't know if it was technically worth it because it took a lot of like it took a lot of time and money, mm -hmm. but I'm like so proud of the end result. And maybe the coolest thing is I sent the video to Amy Edmonton and she emailed me a couple of days ago and she's like, I love the video. Can I share it on my website? And she also mm -hmm. said, she also said, this is one of the best summaries of my work that I've seen. And it's like, that's the best thing ever it's like i don't know if the video is going to do like huge numbers like we have some videos that get millions of views mm -hmm. i don't know if this one will and i don't really care it's like i'm super proud of the process that went into it i'm proud that she really liked it and it was really fun for me to get like kind of like go off the rails of like let's try to make the best video we've ever made and mm -hmm. it was really hard it was really really hard but i'm really proud of it me too. Um, <laughs> I absolutely love it. And so one little question about that, where you mentioned that, um, I don't remember the storyteller's guy's name, but when he was basically like ripping your story apart for like, no, we need to do this again. Was that hard for you? Or were you just like, are yeah. you able to be objective at that point? Because I think like then you were putting like basically your best into that video and your yeah. talk. And then yeah. he comes in, it's like not good enough. Yeah. How, it's how was that for you? It was awesome because it's like, it was just, it was a good situation for me that it didn't feel good. Of course it didn't. It's like, yeah. that's the thing. Like none of these 
like learning actions, like receiving feedback, none of it is going to feel good. And that's like, sometimes people like me give others like the wrong impression of learning. It's like, it should be fun and enjoyable and feel good. It's like, it's probably not. It's like, <laughs> we, we know that feedback is a great, uh, great and an important ingredient for learning, but feedback isn't always going to feel good. And it's, I don't think many people get to the point where it's like, yeah, I love feedback. I love when someone points out things that I did wrong. And like, it's like, it doesn't have to feel good to be useful, I guess, is what I learned. And so it it was hard to hear. But at the same time, the other piece of my brain was, and this is kind of like what I've learned over time, which is when I'm learning, I kind of feel like it's a treasure hunt. And I feel like I'm learning a secret that people don't know. So it's like, hold on. Awesome. This guy might be one of the best in the world at storytelling. And I think storytelling is important. And not only is he helping me make this video better, but the lessons he's teaching me, I can use in my workshops. Mm -hmm. I can use in my podcast. I can use in the articles I write. It's like, this is awesome. Like, I can't believe like I get to do this. So even though it's uncomfortable and even though mm -hmm. I, I take a lot of it personally, at the same time, another piece of my brain is like, whoa, like this is sweet. I'm learning like a, a, a secret of communication that a lot of people don't know. And it's like, that's really cool. So you can be excited and be taking things personally. Um, so it, <laughs> it, it, it's all messy, but it's like, you don't have to feel good for these things to happen. Yeah, I agree. And then I do want to like really talk about the video and psychological safety because it's it's an awesome concept. So for people who might be here like, I have no idea what that actually is. How would you summarize it? What are the concepts of it? It's so we'll go what it is, why it matters. How do we build it? It which is kind of what we did in the video, mm -hmm. but I, we can do it um, quickly here. What it is, is it's the feeling that and so this is more of a group research topic it's not just about an individual it's mm -hmm. it is the feeling that i can like be myself that i can ask a question i can ask for help that i can try something new that i can make a mistake that that it is okay to do those things in this group it's not saying that i feel like i can be reckless and we're not like encouraging like encouraging failure it's just that it is okay to do that so it the feeling that i can do that okay why does it matter it matters because in study after study that I found, it's psychological safety is the number one predictor of group learning and then therefore group performance. Mm -hmm. And it's dead simple. It's if I don't feel safe, I'm probably not going to do the things that help me grow. And like if I don't feel safe, I'm probably not going to ask questions and ask for yeah. feedback and try new things and learn from mistakes. And if the people in the group are avoiding things that help them grow, we're probably not going to learn very much. And so it's like <laughs> by by building safety, what you're doing is you're creating an, an environment that encourages more learning behaviors. And if people are engaged in more learning behaviors, yeah, we're probably going to learn. more. So it's so simple. But like when you lay it out like that, you see like kind of why this matters. And like I said, Amy Edmondson, like her research is like unbelievable. Um, on the topic. Can I explain like one study that I think like really yeah, please. explains? Okay. So this is kind of funny because when I first interviewed her three and a half years ago, she told me this study and I just like, it was over my head. I was like, 
what is she talking about? That doesn't even matter. But then like, finally, finally, four months ago, it clicked. I'm like, oh my God, the study is everything. And so like, I want to explain it properly. Um, so it doesn't like go over people said like it did mine. So she has access to a couple hospitals and they, they pick eight teams within these hospitals. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's eight teams. They hire a bunch of doctors and nurses to observe the eight teams. And the, the, the job is for six months, the, the doctors observe the teams and they're tracking the amount of mistakes that each team makes. So they're coming up with what they call the error rate, the amount of mistakes over the six months that each team is making. Mm-hmm. Then Amy Edmondson gives each team the psychological safety survey. It can measure the, the, the level of psychological safety for each team. So they get the safety score, they have the, uh, the error rate. And the theory going in is, well, we know psychological safety is important, which means the teams that will score higher in this will probably perform better. They'll make fewer mistakes. Mm-hmm. So, so they start crunching the numbers and the opposite happened. The teams that were scoring higher in psychological safety were making more mistakes than the teams that scored lower. And she's just like, damn it. Like, that, that, like <laughs> that's the opposite of what we think. That's the result I didn't want. It's like, this is bad. Like, this goes against everything we thought. But they keep crunching the numbers and then they keep interviewing the teams and they keep interviewing the doctors. And then the aha moment was this. It wasn't about how many mistakes the teams were making. It was the teams that scored higher in psychological safety are more likely to report the mistakes. And so it's like, whoa, it's the teams that were scoring lower in safety weren't making fewer, but they, were, they weren't reporting them. It's like they're not putting them on the table. And if you just take, take a step back and go, okay, how do you learn? A lot of people tell us, you got to make mistakes. No. Making a mistake isn't how you learn. You gotta reflect on the mistake. You gotta own the mistake, reflect on the mistake, yeah. fix the mistake. That's how you're learning from mistake. It's not just the simple act of go screw up and you'll be better. It's like you know, you gotta like think about the yeah. screw up and what to fix. Okay. If we're not reporting the mistake and we're not acknowledging it, it's impossible to reflect on it. It's impossible yeah. to fix it. And so the teams that are reporting them. That's an uncomfortable thing to do, but they're more likely to fix them down the road. So mm-hmm. you go back to the teams that feel safe are more likely to do the things that help them grow. The teams that did not feel safe are hiding the mistakes and they're missing out on these opportunities to grow. So it's like, to me, that study is is a perfect example of the learning actions and behaviors aren't rocket science, but the environment we're in can really, really encourage those type of behaviors or discourage those type of behaviors. So to me, that's why psychological safety matters. Now, that is huge because if I think about um, teams that I've played in and if they ha- like have been very, um, let's say like atmosphere that was basically like somebody led by fear. Mm-hmm. So then what was the team looking like? Well, it was full of excuses. Because nobody wanted to be like raise their hand and be like, "Yeah, I messed up." It was more like she did, yeah. And then how the team performance was that like just never came together. Um, perfect example. And I think 
it's important, important, but also like awesome that I think we get the science and research also to backing up those so that maybe little by little, the bad apples would be, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> picked away from, from the environments because we can see that no, the performance could be better if there would be a little bit more safety in those environments. Yep. So, and then can yeah. I add like one piece? So yeah. it's like the other thing is there's some misconceptions with psychological safety. So it is not lowering standards. It is not just being fake nice. It's not ignoring problems. And it's also not for sports. It's not a guaranteed spot on the team. Like that's not what this research is about. It is. Yeah, great addition. We are encouraging learning actions and we're supporting you when you do that. There's no guarantees. Like, of course there's not. Like, it's it's impossible to do that. And so it you kind of have to be clear. It's like, sometimes people hear psychological safety. It's like, oh, we tr- we're like fake nice to everyone yeah. at the group and, and we ignore problems and avoid tough conversations. It's like, mm-hmm. in, in many ways, it's the opposite. Like mm-hmm. when you have psychological safety, you're more likely to give honest feedback. You're more likely to have a tough conversation because you know, it's like, even though this is really uncomfortable we know it's important and we know that we can work through this together it's like that's real psychological safety yeah i love that you added that one because it's an important part of it so how can people um create it let's say this is a leader of the group Um, how would that leader like make sure that she she or he can create more psychological safety so there's a lot of things you can do um, let's talk about one. And I want to talk about this one because you don't even have to be the leader to do it. It's like anyone on the team can do this. And it's like a simple formula, but once you know the formula, you kind of see it everywhere. And it's modeling vulnerability builds psychological safety. So by modeling vulnerability, I can help build a bit of safety for the people around me. Mm-hmm. And like I said, once once you hear this, you start to see it. So uh in every workshop i ever give at the end we go does anyone have a question yeah and no one ever raises their hand for like 10 seconds nothing happens and when finland that's like two minutes yeah and then and then one person raises their hand and then what happened 25 people raise their hand that's that's the research right there in a nutshell this is human nature which is one person being vulnerable and asking a question creates an environment where it's safer for other people to do the same. And it didn't really matter who the person in the room is. It wasn't like the leader of the group. It's just one person being vulnerable, builds safety for others. And so, like I said, you see this everywhere. That's like a small example, but there's bigger examples of this. And so the way I would encourage people that work on teams or even leaders to think about it is, okay, what are the actions that I want to see more of? How do I put these actions on display? So it's like, do you want your people asking more questions? It's like, we need to be asking lots of questions. Do you want your people to be uh, more open to making mistakes? It's like, I have to be open to making mistakes. It's like, I have to put that action on display. And maybe the best example of it is, uh, there's a school that I work with. It was a middle school and they did a project called the anti-talent show. So like every teacher and every student has to pick a skill that they can't do. And then they practice it for two weeks and they hold the anti-talent show. Oh, and so it's the best. And some people like learn to juggle or write skateboards or like recite poetry. 
nobody masters their skill in two weeks, mm -hmm. but they all are better at it. And I think for a hundred reasons, I think that's a cool project, but I visit the school after they do the project and I was asking the students, like, what did you like the most? And one of the students raised her hand and she goes, the best part of the anti-talent show is that I got to see my teacher and classmates struggle. And that helped me feel like it was okay for me to struggle too. Mm. And it's like, that is so profound that yeah. sometimes when we use modeling, we think it modeling is showing people how to do the thing. But the teacher was learning a different skill than the student. The teacher was learning to juggle and the student was riding to skateboard or whatever. So modeling wasn't just the teacher being like, here's how to ride a skateboard. No, modeling in that scenario was something bigger and more vulnerable. It was the learning process itself, the willingness to try, to struggle, how she responded to the mistake. And it's by putting those actions on display, it builds a bit of safety for the people around her. So now the students feel like, oh, it's okay for me to struggle too. And now I'm more open to it. And then I think the sweet thing about modeling vulnerability and psychological safety is, well, through our actions, we start to build a bit of safety in the environment, mm -hmm. but more safety also encourages more action. And so like that, yeah. those two things can kind of compound. And to me, that's how you're really building a better learning environment from like the ground up. Yeah. And what about then situations where the psychological safety doesn't exist. Let's say like I raised my hand and I was completely shut down. It's the worst. Can I create like a psychological safety somehow within my own circle or with like couple teammate? Yeah. How the, would you approach this? So a couple ways to think about it. One is Amy Eminson says it's, it's, it's local. So it's like, each one of us can improve the safety of the group, maybe for the people around us, but we're not probably going to change the organization from the ground up. Yeah. It's like, of course not. <laughs> and so one is, is it's local. Uh, two, it's if we are in a place where we don't feel psychologically safe, that sucks, but we can still take a step back and be like, okay, can I find ways of engaging and learning behaviors, even though I'm not necessarily supported in that? And that's like super hard to do, but I've seen people do this. Mm -hmm. And maybe my favorite story and the best example of this, and I'll probably cry if I tell it, but whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm in a prison in West Virginia like four years ago, and we're going through like a workshop. We went for a couple hours. And we went through all this stuff. At the end of the workshop, eight guys come up to me and they go, hey, if you're not busy, can you like stick around? We want to like pick your brain and learn more stuff. And so I hang out with mm -hmm. the, this group of eight guys and it's just like a, an awesome afternoon. They're, they're like, hey, we want to build a library in here. Like what books should we get? They, they're like planning a shark tank competition to help people like come up with business plans. So maybe like okay. they're out, out of prisons, like they can like start this business. They were talking to me about like, Hey, how can we like use this stuff to create programs in the prison so people can actually learn more skills, like awesome conversation with these eight guys. Mm -hmm. And okay, now it's time for me to go. A guard comes up and he's like escorting me out the prison. 
And he goes, do you know about those eight guys? And I was like, no, no, like what, like, what do you mean? He goes, those eight guys are in here for life. They're never getting out. And to me, that's like the most badass thing I've ever seen in my life that they are literally stuck in this place and they Mm -hmm. cannot get out. In arguably one of the toughest environments you could be in. And they're finding ways to like grow and get better and help the people around them. So they're setting up these programs. So maybe the people that can get out are going to get out and stay out. And it's just like, to me, that is so awesome that, look, I have no idea about the ins and outs of that environment, but I would imagine it doesn't necessarily feel perfectly psychologically safe all the time yeah, at all. But what they are doing is within this group of eight, they're building it. And then it's like spilling over to the group of 90 and other people are benefiting from the actions that they're taking. And I think about those guys all the time. Uh, they're some of the most amazing people that I've ever met. And it might be one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen. And I've got to work with some really amazing groups, but that their mindset and their approach to that situation is like so badass, I think. Yeah, like, no, I got chills just listening to that. Oh my God. Um, that was so impactful. Just like hearing the story that they are not going to ever get out. And they're not just like, you know, giving up completely and just like yeah. beco- becoming victims of that environment, but creating something good while yeah. they're there. And like, so here's the wild end to the story is three months ago, my phone rings and it's like an unknown number and I answer and this guy goes, you do, you probably don't remember me, but I was one of those eight guys. And he sent a picture, like there is a picture of like the group of us. And I don't know how, but he did get out. Oh, And he's like, like they overturned like my stuff and I'm out. And he's like, I just want you to know that I've been thinking about this a lot and it's really, really helping me. Um, it's really scary now that I'm out, but, mm-hmm. um, like the, the, the books you recommended and the stuff you talked about is helping me. And he goes, I'm setting up like a program in New York to like, I want to share this stuff with some, like some youth in my community. And so I got to fly to New York and him and I did like a three hour workshop together. And it was just like, oh my God. It's like, that was one of those moments of like, this is like from a movie. Like this is like yeah. the coolest thing ever. And it was like a full circle moment of, okay, that the story about the eight guys is impactful because we didn't think they were going to get out. And one of them did and is like benefiting from this. And I'm not saying like I played a role in this, like he's the badass for like going through this. And like, that's the hard part. It's easy to talk about. It's hard to implement. Yeah. And it's just like, it's so cool that now he's out and he's still looking for ways to help other people. It's like, again, amazing that I get to meet people like that. Life-changing for sure. Yeah. It almost kind of makes sense, no, not makes sense, but uh, maybe the fact that you didn't get into the basketball team <laughs> is is now a secondary thing. If you can do that for a living now. It's yeah. this is, awesome. This is more fun and more fulfilling than any other path that I think I could have gone on. But, but that being said, 
I think no matter what path we go on and no matter what we do, it's like we can find meaning and we can find like awesome opportunities to grow and people to connect with like in really any industry. So it's like, I think I'd be perfectly happy if I was still in the basketball world, but I would never trade it for what I got to do now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I want to be respectful of your time, but I have three more questions. So talking about the scary stuff and when we know that, okay, we are scared, but how can we overcome the fear? And I know you know a lot about this, but how would you say, because there's so many people who are held back by fear. How do we yeah. tackle this? You overcome it by understanding that you can't really overcome it. So it's like fear and all these tough emotions, stress, nerves, anxiety, you could like lump them all together and just call them discomfort. Mm -hmm. Like discomfort holds a lot of power over us. These emotions hold a lot of power over us. Like when we're feeling uncomfortable, we usually don't learn at our best. We don't perform at our best. We usually don't make the best decisions. And so the question is like, how do you fix that? Most people think that the strategy is to get rid of them. So it's like, mm -hmm. be fearless, calm down. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. It's like, we've all yeah. heard that. We've all said that. We tell ourselves that. We tell other people that. And that approach on paper makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If these things have a lot of power over me, it makes sense to get rid of them. And then I can perform better, learn better, make better decisions. Well, if you dig into the research, you see that that's the wrong approach. Exactly the wrong approach. That the more you try to suppress and deny and get rid of an emotion, usually the stronger it gets. And yeah. it, it seems kind of counterintuitive, but actually the best way is by giving yourself and others permission to be nervous and reminding them, hey, it's okay. And so there's, there's all sorts of studies that show the benefits of this. Um, but maybe the best example that, that will like paint the picture and give maybe the people listening some tools is when I was younger, before my talks, I would get really, really nervous. And I would interpret those nerves as a sign of weakness mm -hmm. because I, like most people thought it's like, well, it's bad to be nervous. And I am nervous because I must not have prepared enough. I am nervous because I'm like too young to do this. I'm nervous because I don't belong in this room. So yeah. you see, it's like, I think being nervous is bad. And therefore, when I'm feeling it, it's a sign of weakness. And then that can snowball into all sorts of like stories and imposter syndrome. Okay. I've learned so much about these emotions through therapy and interviewing awesome researchers. And so you, you get through this idea of like, what if we realize that you can't actually control how you feel very much, but you can control how you interpret the feeling. And like, mm -hmm. that's sort of how you take the power back. So now that I have this knowledge in my back pocket, I still get nervous before my talks. I was nervous yesterday before the waste management conference. I was nervous when I was in Cincinnati with Procter and Gamble. Like mm -hmm. I get nervous before every talk and it doesn't matter the group, but now I know I'm nervous because I care how this goes and I'm nervous because we don't know how this is going to go. Yeah. This is a simple formula. Caring plus uncertainty equals discomfort. 
every time. <laughs> like, if, if, if you care and there's some level of uncertainty, you're going to feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, let's take this framework. Now, I'm still nervous before the talk, but I know I am nervous right now because I care how this goes and we don't know how it's going to go. I'm nervous because I care and there's uncertainty, not because I'm too young or not smart or didn't prepare. So it's like, you see, it's the same feeling, yeah, but with a, di a different interpretation allows me to manage it and kind of operate in a different way. And so we tell people, look, our goal isn't necessarily to become fearless. Mm -hmm. you, you just don't want fear making your decisions when you're trying to learn. And you do that, you achieve that, not by squashing your fear or becoming fearless or denying it. You, you do this through understanding and accepting that in a learning situation, like this is just learning 101, in order to get better at something, you kind of have to stretch a little out of the comfort zone. Well, guess what happens if you're out of your comfort zone? It's not comfortable. <laughs> so, like, so you have to like understand that I am out of this comfort zone. And if I'm in a learning situation, this is going to create some tough emotions. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean I'm doing something wrong. That means I'm a human. And so what we're trying to drive home is like, look, feeling kind of weird before a presentation, feeling nervous before a job interview, uh, uh, like uh, even a tough conversation or even feeling weird before asking a question. That doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. That means you're a human. Like that's the human response to anything that stretches you out of the comfort zone mm -hmm. because all those things involve uncertainty. And so what we're trying to chase and the skill we're trying to build is accepting the fact that you don't control every feeling you have in every moment of your life but what you can control and get better at is how you interpret those feelings when yeah. we're operating under the framework that it's bad to be nervous that it's bad to to, to feel weird that it's bad to be afraid we're going to shame ourselves when we feel it yeah if we upgrade if we upgrade the framework and go okay it's not fun to feel like this it's not it's not fun to be nervous it's not fun to be mm -hmm. afraid at all but, but it's okay. And giving ourselves and others permission to feel that, that's how you take the power back from the emotions. And that's how you sort of put them in the back seat. So in a way you are overcoming the discomfort, but you're not getting rid of it. You're just sort of interpreting it in the right way and putting it in its place. So good. Thank you for that. That was so good. I, um, I agree. I feel like also the way that I was interpreting my feelings at some point it was like a feeling and then I made a story about that feeling and what that story meant for me was the one that like then caused yeah. way too much anxiety for example and it yeah. wasn't necessarily real but because of the feeling and the story that I made about that feeling why it came up was exactly like that and then that feeling was driving me and then yeah. I was just sitting on the back seat and just like, and oh my god <laughs> so we get to choose the story it's like is the story that I'm nervous because I'm not enough mm. or is the story I'm nervous because I care and there's uncertainty and it's like we kind of get we get to make that choice you don't really get to decide what the feeling is and so yeah. it's like the misconception is you see this on Twitter especially in the sports world we're like oh being nervous hurts performance no mm. 
misinterpreting your nerves that will hurt performance so like what's going to hurt your performance is when you're freaking out that you're freaking out <laughs> shaming yourself for being nervous. Yeah. that will hurt your performance but you can feel nervous and perform well all the time yeah so it's like interpreting it properly that's that's where we like get the most bang for our buck yeah and you cannot take uncertainty away from sports or from life either like i think that's just part of it and then learning how to do this would exactly be so helpful it's, um, the, the uncertainty is why we like sports it's like yeah. this is like the catch-22 of like if you knew that you're gonna win every game and make every shot it's not fun anymore mm -hmm. it's not fun to watch it's it's the uncertainty is the magic but it's also what creates the discomfort so it's like if you're signing up to play sports or just really for most things in life mm -hmm. it's like you can't completely get rid of the uncertainty, which means you need to get good at how you're interpreting the discomfort. Because if you're not focused on that skill, it's like, it's gonna like, it at the minimum hurt your performance. And then maybe even more important than that, it can get in the way of growth opportunities too. Yes, exactly. So then the second last question, what are the most common struggles that you see athletes or leaders maybe even just like overall humans now um, having. And I think you can also combine it to like, what do you think they could focus on a little bit more then? Honestly, kind of an unexpected answer. And I don't even really have any research to support it, but it's something I see, which is like losing perspective on the fact that like sports are like fun and they can teach us a lot of powerful lessons. And sometimes we, and I did this, it's like we put so much into it that we forget that this should be fun and enjoyable and like be a great opportunity for me to grow. Mm -hmm. And that we like, we make it, we morph it into something else of like, I have to use this to get into college or like I need to get a scholarship or I have to make this team or it's not worth it. It's like those goals are fine. I'm not saying get rid of them, but just balancing out the perspective of like, yo, don't forget, like this should be really fun and this should be an enjoyable and you can you can be a competitor and want to win and have big goals. In fact, I think we should do all of those things. And at the same time, we can like remind ourselves of the opportunities like within this journey that are like really fun. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that as coaches, parents, and athletes. Yeah. A uh, great one. And I do have to tell a little side story of that because it's just exactly what you said about like make like as if like the goal is then gonna or achieving the goal is gonna make the journey worth it. And I think that's where, for example, like I went wrong at some point when like the then my career was over. And then I was just like thinking like, once I hit that level, then all of the, my sacrifices would be kind of worth it. And I think that's where I lost the joy for sure. Like in that journey for a like little, little bit of the time and it wasn't fun. Mm -hmm. um, so I love that you brought that one up. And then the last question, um, anything you want to say to people, like something that has been on your mind and you wish that they would, I don't know, do, feel, think, Whatever. I mean, I, I just think it's like, I think when I'm thinking about learning and thinking about our message, it's maybe the biggest thing that we're trying to push is like, 
no matter who we are or what we do, there's hundreds of skills within our reach. Mm -hmm. And we are capable of learning more of these skills than we realize. And just by like taking some time and focusing on learning and growth, we can just start grabbing more of those skills. And it's one of the most energizing and like fun journeys to be on. It's like, I don't care what you're learning, mm -hmm. but we all have these skills that can make us better. And finding a way to like reach and grab a few more of those is just the best. And I hope that, I hope that's the effect that we have on people in these conversations and podcasts and videos and workshops. It's like, let's help people spend more time learning stuff because if they do that, that's going to benefit them and the people around them. Amazing. Thank you. This was absolutely amazing. I know I went for a little over time, but I couldn't help it. I enjoyed this like so much and I could, could go forever, but I just really want to thank you and everybody who joined. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Aspiring High Performers podcast. I hope you found today's conversation as inspiring as I did. And please remember that achieving more does not have to come at the expense of your well-being or happiness anymore. So before we part ways, I want to share two important things with you. One, if today's conversation resonated with you, if it reinforced that thought of what could be possible for you, then consider becoming part of the community. So please subscribe to the podcast and take a moment to leave a review. Your feedback means the world to me, honestly, and it helps me continue bringing you valuable content. Secondly, as we venture forward on this journey, I invite you to join our exclusive WhatsApp group, absolutely free of charge. Here you'll find a community of like-minded individuals, all driven by similar dreams and desires, and we can make reaching that next level just a little bit easier when we are surrounded by support and shared aspirations. And lastly, thank you so much for tuning in and being a part of today's episode. So until next time, stay driven and go master the day because you might just be closer to your goals than you think.